Today I'm continuing a series talking about lessons from David. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is where it comes up to David's sin with Bathsheba and then his murdering Bathsheba's husband to try and cover up his adultery with her. This is one of the bad spots in David's life. And it not only was a bad thing that happened right then, but it just set up a series of things in his future and it caused all kinds of sexual immorality among his children, rebellion, murder, all kinds of things. It just allowed the devil to come in and David suffered greatly through this as well as did other people. And so this is one of the black times in David's life. And you know, this is one of the things that I appreciate so much about the Word of God that even though David is one of the major characters, and I mean, Jesus talked about him. You know, there's scriptures in the New Testament that talks about the sure mercies of David and all of these things. And here we are thousands of years later talking about this man who is a man after God's own heart. And even though there were great things written about him and there's many things to emulate in a positive way, the Bible doesn't just sugarcoat this. The Bible doesn't just, you know, gloss over his mistakes, I mean, it points out in vivid detail David's failings. And again, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things are written so that we might learn through them not to lust, not to have these problems. So the Bible doesn't only put people up and show us all of the positive things to emulate. It shows us every wart, every blemish, every problem in a person's life, and there's things to learn from that. And so this is one of those examples right here where David made one of the worst mistakes of his entire life and uh, how God dealt with him over it, how he repented of it, how he was able to persevere and how he was able to come back. You know, even though this is a terrible instance that we're going to be dealing with right here, David did overcome this. And David was able to regain his position with the Lord. And David was able to complete the purpose that God had for him. And see, right here is one of the great lessons that you can learn. That I doubt if anybody has messed up as badly as David has. It's possible that somebody has committed adultery and murdered the husband of the woman trying to make it, you know, to cover for his sin and then the child die, and then his own son committed the same lewd act with the sister, and one of his sons killed the brother, and then that led to a civil war, and over 10,000 people died as a result. All of these things came because of what David did right here. And yet David recovered, and David went on to finish his course and to be a man that God loved. If that could work for David, it can work for you. David was under an inferior covenant. Today, the grace of God is revealed and released through Jesus in a way that it was never released in the old covenant. If David could recover, I can guarantee you, you can recover. There is forgiveness and reconciliation. And I say it this way, that God is at least as good as a GPS system. What I mean by that is all of us have used these GPS systems and if you make a wrong turn, it doesn't just say, you idiot, you missed the turn, you'll never get there now. <laughs> but instead, it'll say something like recalculating. And it doesn't matter where you turn, which direction you go, that GPS system can plot a way to get you back on course and get you to where you need to go. God is certainly able to do that. 
It doesn't matter how much you've messed up your life. You could have done as badly as David did right here. And yet God can recalculate. God can get you back on course. David suffered some things. I'm not saying that it was easy. He made things a lot worse on himself than they had to be. Likewise, you may have made some really bad things that are costing you and costing other people. But God can recalculate. God can get you back on track. So even though this is a negative experience in David's life, it teaches us a positive lesson, and that is that God can overcome whatever mess you make of your life. God can do something. So right here in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabab. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now this is somewhat subtle, and sometimes people miss this, But there's a reason why David fell into this sin. And part of that reason, let me just restate this again, that you know what, sin doesn't come upon you like a seizure. You don't catch it by being, you know, it's not like a cold that you get around somebody else who's got a cold and you catch it and you didn't want it, but it just happens. Sin has to be conceived is what it says over in James chapter 1, that sin, when it conceives, lust, when it conceives, brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Sin has to be conceived. Hopefully everybody watching this understands that the stork doesn't bring babies. It doesn't come by drinking the water after another person who's pregnant. You have to be impregnated. You have to conceive a child. Likewise, sin is conceived. You may not understand where that sin was conceived, but I guarantee you somewhere you had to do something that opened yourself up to this. Sin doesn't come on you like a seizure, and you don't just catch sin. There are reasons why people sin. You know, there was a man in Colorado Springs who was a pastor of a very large church here, world famous. And anyway, he fell into sexual sin, homosexuality and doing dope. And he was a friend of mine. He had taught in the Bible school. And when this happened, many of our Bible college students were just devastated. And so I got up and addressed it. And people were saying, how could this happen? Man, if a person who loves God and is serving God and is doing all of the things that this person did, if this can happen to them, well, then there's just none of us that are secure. How can we know that we're going to be serving the Lord? And I got up and used some of these exact scriptures. And I told them, I said, sin has to be conceived. I said, this blindsided me. I didn't see it coming. But... I can guarantee you this didn't just happen. This isn't something that just broadsided him. It wasn't a mistake that he made one time and he just couldn't help it and it was just a brief sidestep. I said, I don't know the details, but if you could dig deep enough, you would find out that this is something he opened up the door to. He's been entertaining this. And anyway, I won't go into all of the details, but as you know, the thing drug out, it turned out that this is something that had been going on for 20 years with multiple people. It wasn't a one-time mistake. It went back to things when this guy was a kid, and there were reasons why it happened. Sometimes we don't know it, but I'm telling you, based on Scripture, there are reasons why people fail. There are reasons why people give in to sin, and they fail and do these things. And right here, subtly is one of the reasons why this whole sin with Bathsheba happened is because it was time for kings to go to battle. You know, uh, 
They didn't have the modern technology and things that we do. We can wage war just nearly under any conditions today. But back then there was a time when people fought. And it was after the end of the year, the Jewish calendar ended. The first of the year was in what we would call our springtime. And so after the first of the year is when people went out to wage battle. David was the king. David was anointed by God to conquer these territories and help Israel fulfill the purpose that God originally intended back with Moses and Joshua. And the Israelites had never really done it. David expanded the Israelite kingdom to its largest expanse. And this was one of the mandates that God had for him was to finally conquer these people such as the Jebusites, the people who lived in Jerusalem, and David conquered them. He extended the kingdom of Israel to the largest extent it ever had throughout history, and this was what David was anointed to do. It was time for him to go out to battle, but now David was so close to accomplishing all of his goals and gaining all of the territory that God had given the nation of Israel that you know what? He didn't have to do what God had called him and anointed him to do. He was so prosperous. He was so successful. This was a relatively small battle that he just sent his general, Joab, out to fight his battle. And he stayed in Jerusalem. He wasn't doing what God called him to do. And I don't know if you're tracking with me on this, but I'm telling you that this is one of the great dangers that a person has in their life, and that is that you need to have a goal, a purpose for your life. You need to know what God made you for, and you need to have that goal and purpose. You need to be headed towards that goal, and you don't ever, ever, ever need to get to where you do not have vision, and you are just coasting, feeling like you've accomplished everything. I'm telling you, God is a huge God. God's plans for us are bigger than any of us. I don't believe any of us ever, ever see the totality of what God wants us to do fulfilled. I mean, you just head towards Like in my life, I've been serving the Lord. I've been in ministry for 46 years. God has done some awesome things with me. He's uh, raised up a lot of things. This Bible college campus that we're building... You know, I've got the first of two buildings built. We're working on the second one. It's another two or three year project. And some people, you know, might just think, well, you've accomplished what God wants you to do after that second building gets finished. But God has already given me things far beyond that. I've got things I hadn't told anybody because right now my staff is terrified with the things that I'm already doing. But I've got vision way out there. I think that once a person outlives their vision, that's not a healthy situation. I mean, it's a proven fact that if you exercise and continue to do weights and walk and do things, that you're healthier. But when you just become complacent and you don't do anything, it actually makes you lethargic. It actually hinders your body. Your body needs to be moving. Your mind, your heart, everything needs to be focused on something. You need to have a purpose in life. If you don't have that, I guarantee you it's detrimental to everything. Your health, your emotional health and all of this stuff. David was in a place where he was pretty close to accomplishing the goals that God had given him. And David wasn't doing what God called him to do, and he was just goofing off. He was coasting. And you can see that in the next verse, because look at verse 2. It says, And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose up from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look on. 
Now let me ask you this. If you are just getting up off of your bed as the sun sets, what does that mean? That means you're sleeping during the day. That means you're napping. This is not describing a person who's king and is doing all of the affairs of state. David had led that nation. This is getting towards the end of his life and of his ministry, and he had obtained so much. He had a system set in place, all of the things, and David wasn't being king. He wasn't fighting the battles. He wasn't even staying at home and running the business of, of the nation and doing all of this. He was sleeping during the day. David was bored. And I'm telling you, when you don't have a vision and when you get bored, that is breeding ground for the devil. You need to have a purpose in life. You know, I know that I'm speaking to some people right now that you really don't have a purpose, that you're just coasting and you're wondering why things are happening. I'm telling you, if you're breathing, God's still got a purpose for your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your situation is. God's got a purpose for your life. And if you're just sitting there goofing off and doing nothing and watching TV all day long and you don't have a purpose in your life, you are opening yourself up to problems. You need to have something that is bigger than you and something that is driving you. Man, I could spend a lot of time on this, but... All of this I get out of 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, that David was bored. David was sleeping during the day. If David was doing what God had called him to do, and if he was out fighting the battle, or at the very least, if he would have been running the affairs of state and dealing with things instead of just delegating it to other people, if he'd have been doing what he was anointed to do, he would have been working during the day, he'd have gone to bed at night, and he wouldn't have even entered into this entire situation. I'm telling you, there are reasons why people fail. There are reasons why all of this stuff happens, and a lot of it has to do with people do not have a vision. It says in Proverbs chapter 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, I guarantee you, Satan comes in and all kinds of things begin to happen. You need to have a purpose to your life. David did not have it. And so he was getting up off of his bed. He was just waking up when it was time to go to bed, and he saw Bathsheba washing herself, you know, some people might try and criticize Bathsheba and say that this woman should have been more discreet. You know, she enticed David and they try and make an excuse of this. Later in Psalms chapter 51, after Nathan had rebuked David for his sin, David repented in Psalms chapter 51 and he took full responsibility for his sin. He never blamed Bathsheba. He never said, well, the affairs of state were just such a pressure on him. Michael had rejected him. You know, we talked about that on our program yesterday from 2 Samuel chapter 6. He didn't blame Michael and say, my wife wasn't ministering to me the way I should. See, this is the way that people approach things today. Instead of accepting responsibility for their own actions, they blame anybody and everybody else. And I'm sure that there are some people with that mindset who say, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been doing this. You know, David was just a man. She uh, got his emotions and his, you know, sex drive going and stuff. And so Bathsheba is at fault. David never said that. And I'm not saying that other people don't entice us. I'm not saying that other people don't hurt you and do things to you that cause problems. But I am saying that nobody can make you sin 
without your consent and your cooperation. If David would have been doing what he was supposed to do, if he was seeking the Lord and staying strong as he had been in the past, this would not have been an in- a temptation to him. You cannot blame other people for what you're doing. Boy, that is a huge statement right there. You need to quit blaming everybody else and talking about it's society's fault. And you need to accept responsibility for the mess your own life is. David was responsible for this. And in verse 3 it says, And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her home. Now, I'm not absolving Bathsheba of any responsibility here. You know what? David was the king, and some people might say, well, Bathsheba had no choice. He was the king. He could do whatever he wanted to. Bathsheba could have stood up to him. I mean, at the very... I'm, some people think this is terrible, but you know what would he have done? If he'd have killed her, it still would have been better to have maintained your integrity and your holiness rather than consent. But David wasn't that kind of a guy. I don't think he would have killed her. Probably it would have convicted him and he would have realized she was more righteous than him. Anyway, I'm not absolving Bathsheba of responsibility. It looks like she was a willing participant in this, but that's really a separate issue. We're talking about David, and you cannot sit there and say that David was enticed by this woman, that it was somebody else's fault. David bore total responsibility for this error. And here's another lesson that you can learn from David. And this is a bad lesson. That David had surrounded himself with people who were just yes men. And that they would do whatever he said. David did not personally go get Bathsheba. He sent messengers and they helped him and participated in this adultery. And when David killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, uh, he didn't do it himself But he used Joab, the general, to do it. And he put him in a place where he knew it was dangerous. And then he had all of the other soldiers remove themselves from him and left Uriah. And Uriah got killed. Did you know David had people around him that fostered his sin? And this is a lesson that you can learn from David, a bad lesson. But you do not need to surround your people with just yourself with people that are just yes men. You need to have people of integrity around you that you are accountable to. And if you do something wrong, that they'll call your hand on it. That's something we need to have people around us, people of integrity that we will hold us accountable and that will encourage us instead of just bow down and say whatever we want to have said and help us to live in sin. The people that you hang out with, the people that you surround yourself with, if you're a leader, the people that you have on staff, it is really important that you surround yourself with the right people. And for time's sake, let me summarize some of the things that are said in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So David took Bathsheba, had sexual relationship with her, and her husband Uriah was off with the army fighting a battle that David was supposed to be directing, but he wasn't doing what he was called to do, but Uriah was. And so after a period of time, Bathsheba realized she was pregnant, and she sent a messenger to David and let him know that she had become pregnant. So David wanted to cover up his sin. He didn't want, uh, of course, Uriah was gone in the war. People were going to know that Bathsheba had committed adultery with somebody and it was very obvious that David was the guy and so he wanted to cover up his sin. So what he did, he sent to the battle and had Joab the general send Uriah home. 
And he acted like he was wanting to get, you know, a message about how the battle was going. So Uriah brought David this information and then David released him and sent a bunch of food and wine after him, supposing that Uriah would go home and have physical relationships with Bathsheba and then uh, it would look like that this child that was born was Uriah's child and David would be off the hook. So that was the plot. But Uriah, after he was released, he didn't go home to Bathsheba. Instead, he slept at the door to David's palace and he slept there all night long. So in the morning, uh, people told him what Uriah had done. And so David called Uriah in and said, why didn't you go home? Why didn't you visit your wife? And Uriah said, you know, my lord, Joab, the general over the army, all of his brothers that were in the army and the Ark of the Covenant was out fighting this battle. And he said, am I supposed to come home and go in and enjoy my wife and do these things? He says, you know, I swear by God, I'm not going to do it. Now, a lot of people don't relate to this, but you know, I've been in the army and there is this... Uh, I don't know what you call it. It's a bond that happens between you and these other guys. Your life is in their hands to a large degree and their life is in your hands and you develop this bond in this relationship. And I remember I got an emergency leave to come home from Vietnam uh, while I was there. And you know, the whole time I felt guilty. I felt like here I am back in the States enjoying all of the benefits of safety and my family and friends and all of these things and there's my uh, brothers in arm over there putting their life in danger and I'm not there to do my part and I felt guilty over it. Now, that's a not exact comparison, but I can understand what Uriah was feeling like and you know what? He just was committed to the cause. He was a, a man of integrity. So anyway, David called him in the second day and he thought, well, I'll get him drunk. And when he gets drunk, then he'll uh, go down and have relationships with Bathsheba and he'll be off the hook. And so he forced Uriah and made him get drunk. But even in a drunken state, Uriah still would not go home to Bathsheba. He still slept at the door of David. Uh, Uriah had more integrity than David at this time, even in a drunken state. You know, this right here, this should have convicted David, because at one time David had this kind of integrity. At one time David was seeking the Lord and was this committed to the purpose and the calling that God had given him. But it's like he, he didn't even notice this. He just persisted. And so finally, when he saw that Uriah was not going to change, he wrote a note and sent it to Joab, the general, and told Joab to put Uriah in a place where there was a lot of fighting and then have the other soldiers withdraw from him and leave him there alone so that he would be killed. And Joah, and he sent the note by Uriah, the man that he was wanting to kill. You know, all Uriah would have had to have done was open up this note and read it, and yet he was a man of integrity. And David knew that he had so much integrity that he could send his own death warrant by the hands of this man. I tell you, the wickedness that David got into in this situation, it is totally out of character with the rest of his life. Matter of fact, after David was dead, you'll find that many of the sons, you know, the kings of Israel after him, it would put them in a comparison to David and it would say that this person served God with the perfect heart as did David his father. And it would refer to David as being a man who served God with the perfect heart and with all of his heart. 
And in one instance it says, and he served God as did David his father, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. This was an exception. Basically, David was a godly man that sought God and did some really good things. But man, right here, he is acting as ungodly as anybody. And here's a lesson that you can learn from David. And that is that you know what? Any of us, I don't care who we are, I'm including myself, anybody else, any of us can do anything that anybody else can do if we just give ourselves over to it. Now, I will say this, that today I'm not capable of just totally rejecting the Lord because my heart is focused on God and I'm in, in uh, relationship with Him. I've got this teaching titled, How to Prepare Your Heart, and it makes this point. But you can set your heart on the things of God so that you just cannot rebel at God today. But if you let your guard down, if you quit seeking God, if you start flirting and and exposing yourself to things that you are not supposed to do. Over a period of time, anybody can harden your heart towards the Lord and you are as capable of sinning as David was. David was a man after God's own heart, but he for a period of time just walked away from that, was not seeking the Lord, was bored, and he became as wicked and vile as just about anybody. Boy, there's a lesson here for us that you know what? It's like flying in an airplane and you may think, man, look what I'm doing. And you're up there at 35,000 feet and you're just cruising five or 600 miles an hour and you think, look what I'm doing. But you turn off those engines and I guarantee you gravity is still there. And it, it may take a period of time. If you're up, you know, at 50,000 feet or something, I guarantee it may take a period of time, but you will come down. And it's the same thing with us. There is still this pull of sin. There is still the old unrenewed mind. And if you ever turn off the power, if you quit seeking God, if you just think I can coast, you are headed for a crash. There, this is a lesson that you can learn from David, that any of us can stoop to these things. So anyway, basically, Joab agreed and did what David asked him to do. And as a result, Uriah the Hittite was killed. And look at these verses right here at the end of Second Samuel chapter 11. And uh, in verse 26, it says, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I tell you what, that's putting it mildly. I t God, I, this grieved God. And matter of fact, over here in the 12th chapter, you'll hear some things that the Lord said through Nathan the prophet. And displeasing the Lord, this is putting it mildly. This grieved the Lord. You know, in the New Testament, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the scriptures that just, every time I read this, this really gets to me, but it's over in Genesis chapter 6. And it's right before the flood and the Lord came down and saw all of the things that the Lord was doing. And it says in verse 6, Genesis 6, 6, It repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. Man, I think that's one of the saddest scriptures in the entire Bible. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God created us for love and fellowship. But in just about 1,600 years after the creation of mankind, 
God was grieved and it actually, He repented that He had even made us. I tell you, it's, the Lord has suffered a lot. And of course, He had to even sacrifice His Son and went through the, the grief of seeing His Son punished and all of these kind of things because of His love for us. And I guarantee you, this grieved the Lord what David had done. And if you just understood this, if you understood that God loves you personally, that God desires nothing but the best for you. He has a great plan for your life. And it grieves the Lord when you go through these heartbreaks. It grieves the Lord when relationships, when marriages fail, when there's strife and division, when you're sick, when you're poor. It says in Psalms chapter 35, verse 27, it says, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. God is pleased when you prosper. God is not pleased when you don't prosper. I tell you, if you could understand what I'm trying to say right here, and if you had a personal relationship to where you felt the pleasure of the Lord, and you enjoyed doing things that brought pleasure to the Lord, that He inhabits the praises of His people, and if you ever got to where you were really experiencing relationship with God, not just knowledge that He exists, but you had a personal relationship, and if you were in relationship, and if you didn't want to do anything to grieve the Lord... I guarantee you that would change your life. It would change your actions. But so many people, it's like God is way out there in the future. Even for Christians, it's like, you know, relationship with God starts after you're dead and you go to either heaven and in the sweet by and by, that's going to be awesome. But right now, there's so many Christians that are just living their life as if you wind up a toy and just point it in a direction and let it start going. And they aren't in relationship with God. And so they do whatever they want to. And they don't even have a thought about, is this pleasing to God? You know, there was a book that I read when I was a little kid called In His Steps. And it was about a pastor of a church. And he was just busy pastoring the church. And there was this beggar that came to his house and asked for some food. And he wouldn't give him any. And then there was other people in the church. And eventually, that beggar showed up at a Sunday service. And he stood up and said, I've been to every one of your home. I've asked you for help. Not a single person would help me. Anyway, that guy died. And it so convicted the pastor and the members of this church that they got together. And they said, let's make a pact and start praying about what would Jesus do? And that was the whole book. And they started praying. And all of a sudden, some of those people who were owning liquor stores decided that that's not what Jesus would want them to do. And they quit and they got into a different deal. People that run the paper, they quit ad, uh, running ads for things that wouldn't please the Lord. They started writing their columns in a way that it would reflect godly values instead of worldly values. And the whole book was just about the tremendous revival that came by just people all of a sudden beginning to recognize what would Jesus do? We're representing Him. And you know, in the recent years, there were these wristbands that came out with WWJD and that was what would Jesus do? That was back to that book that was written, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago or something like this. And if people would just live their life about how does this affect the Lord? Are the things I'm doing, is this pleasing to God? This book that I'm reading, is this the kind of book that Jesus would want me to read? The movies that I watch, the places that I go, the things that I do, the things that I eat, the things that I drink, the way that I live, is this the way that Jesus would want me to live? If we would live our life with that mindset, I guarantee you it would radically, radically change your actions, your thoughts, your experiences. 
David right here, it's just like he had unplugged from God. He wasn't thinking about the Lord. If he had been thinking about the Lord, if he was open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit wouldn't have convicted, he would have convicted him over the things that he was doing. But it was like David was just hardened towards the Lord. He had reached a level of prosperity that he no longer was needing God. He wasn't uh, in need of God the way he had been in the beginning. Now he was prosperous. Everything was established. Everything was working good. And he was just coasting and he wasn't seeking the Lord. But what he had done had displeased the Lord. I'm telling you, you need to live your life with an awareness of God is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking, is my lifestyle pleasing to you. That's one of the lessons that you can learn from David. So in the 12th chapter, the prophet Nathan came and exposed David's sin. Let me read these verses to you in verse chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler to the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress it for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, of course, this is a parable. I don't think that this situation ever really happened. I guess it could have, but it was just a parable, and Nathan was using this. And let me insert something right here that I'll call this andeology. I can't prove this to you, but it is consistent with Scripture. There are Scriptures that say that God will have judgment without mercy on those that have shown no mercy. And for those who show mercy, God will extend mercy. You reap what you sow. That is a godly principle. And I personally believe that the reason that Nathan didn't just walk in and expose David's sin, and instead he gave this parable about this situation, the reason he did that is because David basically right here was going to determine his own punishment. God was giving him an opportunity and if David would have shown any mercy, if he would have shown any compassion, and if he would have made this man make some restitution, but you know, if he would have had any pity on this man, I think that God would have had pity on him. But David, in a sense, was given an opportunity to prescribe his own judgment. And because he showed no mercy, he says, the man that did this is going to die for killing an animal. Now, I admit, it was a situation where this animal was very dear to the person that brought it up. It was the wrong thing to do. But nonetheless, it was unjust. It was over the top. It was excessive to kill the man who did this. And David was just operating in this tremendous anger. You know, this is another lesson that I learned from David. And I've seen this many, many times that sometimes the people who are so vicious with other people and just critical of them, it's because really in their heart, they are upset with themselves. They've got bitterness and anger and they are so angry at themselves that they turn around and express this towards other people. And I'm telling you, this is a, a truth that if you are 
hard on other people, usually it's because you're hard on yourself. You are so miserable. You're so upset with yourself and it just spews out. This anger that you have inside for yourself spews out to other people. Most of the time, hurt people are the ones that hurt other people. And David, I believe here, was expressing his anger. He knew he was doing wrong. He, his own conscience was convicting him. And he was angry and bitter at himself. And when he saw somebody else do something that in comparison was less than what he had done, he was just violent, vicious with them. Wanted to kill him and make this man restore fourfold. And by doing this, he basically pronounced his own judgment. There's scripture that says God will have mercy on people who show mercy, but those who don't show mercy will reap what they've sown. And I believe that the reason that Nathan didn't just come to David and say, David, you're the man, and God is gonna, uh, has found you out. Instead of doing that, he gave this parable because David's reaction and how he would administer justice determined what David was going to reap. You reap what you sow. And since David wanted this man to die and he just wanted to... Uh, punish this guy, well, then he pronounced his own judgment on himself. And so David got incensed and yelled these things out about what he would do to this man. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. I would love to have been there. You know, this, this is just so typical. This is so typical that people just are angry and vicious and they're going to judge and punish other people and then all of a sudden God says, you're the man and the realization strikes that this, you know, it's not about what other people have done. I'm guilty. How can I judge and condemn somebody else when I myself have done things just as bad? I tell you, I believe that, I believe David was angry, probably, you know, his blood had risen in his face He might have been able to see his juggler veins standing out. And then Nathan says, you're the man. And boy, I bet you there was a huge transformation in the way he looked. I'd love to have been there and seen this. And Nathan went on to say, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. You know, this is powerful. Again, I could teach on this for an hour, and I just don't have time, but this is powerful. The way that the Lord reproved David for his sin, it wasn't so much the fact that he committed adultery. I know that this is going to really shock some of you. But look at what he's saying. He says, David, I gave you your master's house. I gave you your master's wives into your bosom. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you more. Did you know the Lord said in uh, the New Testament, Jesus said that from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now this was in response to a questioned by the scribes and Pharisees about can you just divorce and remarry for any reason and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus was saying, that's not the way I intended. And then the the scribes came back, well, then why did uh, Moses allow divorce and remarriage? And the Lord said, it's because of the hardness of your heart. In other words, God allowed it 
But that wasn't His will. God's will was one woman for one man for one life. That is God's best, and that's what God intended. He has allowed divorce. He's allowed these things because we're so hard-hearted, and God still loves us even when we do it. But it was never God's will. The reason I bring that out is to say that this was never God's will for people to have multiple wives. And yet he allowed David to have multiple wives. David had 13 wives at one time, I've counted. And so God, this wasn't his will for David, but he allowed it. And he still loved David. And he says, I would have even given you more if you would have asked me. This wasn't God's will. But it wasn't the issue of David wanting Bathsheba. God would have given David more wives, even though that wasn't his best. He would have indulged his flesh and would have allowed this. But the real issue here was, David, you aren't seeking me. You aren't trusting me. You now have risen to a place to where you're king. You can do anything you wanted to, and you, have, you are not dependent upon me. You're just doing your own thing. And you don't even care about what my will is. And this is what upset the Lord. You know, I know some of you right here may struggle to get the point I'm making. But really, it's not about, you know, doing dope, getting drunk, doing all of these things that people talk about. You know what the real problem is? It's the fact that you aren't depending upon God. If you feel miserable, if you need to escape... Instead of going and casting your care over on the Lord and letting God minister to you, you go drown it in a bottle. You go take a pill of something that gives you a momentary peace instead of running to the Prince of Peace. See, this is what's wrong with adultery. This is what's wrong with all of these things. The church many times will argue and say, well, no, the thing that's wrong is you could get sexually transmitted diseases. Don't you understand that, man, you're exposing yourself to this? And then they talk about physical consequences. And those things do exist. I'm not saying they don't exist. But you know what's wrong? Let's just say, what would happen if they came up with a cure for AIDS? What would happen if there was no sexually transmitted diseases? What would happen if nobody ever found out that you had done something? Would that make it okay? No, because the bottom line is that instead of having relationship with God and being satisfied in, in because God is meeting your needs, instead you aren't trusting God. You're going out and doing things. And if they came up with a cure and if there was no chance that you could ever get AIDS, it still would be wrong because it's a violation of your covenant with God and a covenant with your mate. And see, most people don't understand this. I remember my kids... When I first let my oldest son have the car and stay out past, you know, stay out till 11 o'clock, I remember, you know, sitting down and talking to him and you, you be in by 11 and stuff. Well, he came in at 11.15. And you know what most parents do in a situation like that? They will sit there and start talking about what could have happened. Do you realize you could have run out of gas? You could have had a flat tire. Did you realize that all the weirdos are out? Do you realize things happen late at night? This could have happened and that could have happened. And stuff, But you know what the real problem is? It's really, I mean, even though those consequences exist and you don't want your children in a position where they're going to be exposed to problems, you know what the real problem is? It's the fact that I trusted you. I gave you something. There's no guarantee. You don't have to have the parent's car. You do not have a constitutional right to stay out till 11 o'clock. I gave these things to you. I trusted you. I honored you. I respected you. And I gave you something. And how did you respond to me? 
If I say 11 o'clock, you're going to push it 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. If I'd have said 12 o'clock, they'd have been in at 11.15, I mean 12.15, 12.30. It was just the fact that here I am, I've trusted you, I've honored you, and you didn't honor me. See, this is what the Lord is saying. It's, it's not that he felt good about the adultery and murder. I'm not saying that those things weren't issues, but the real issue was that, David, you've quit trusting me. I'm the one that exalted you. Your father didn't even think you were worthy to put your name in the hat when Samuel came to anoint the king. And he left you out there with the sheep. But I honored you. I wouldn't let anybody sit down until you came. I've honored you. I took you from following the sheep. I exalted you. I helped you to overcome Goliath. I gave you all of these things. I've done all of these things for you. And look how you treat me. Look at the next verse. Verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Notice he says, thou hast despised me. There's a lot of people who say, well, he didn't despise you. He just got caught up in a moment of lust. He did something. He did this, but he didn't turn against you. No, I guarantee you, if you've committed adultery, if you've done these things, you've despised God, the one who has given you so much, and you have just rejected his counsel. And, fo and not been following Him, and you have done your own thing. You've exalted your own lust. You've gone by your own heart instead of doing what God has called you to do. And you may not look at it this way, but this is how God looks at it. He told David, you have despised me. Boy, this is big. And I'm telling you, this is why people do the weird stuff that they do. It's because they don't have this personal relationship with God. They're living by rules and standards and those things can be broken and bent and, and all of this kind of stuff. But when you come right down to it, if you peel the layers back and get to the bottom line, you despise God. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I was in a situation where it was just pressure, pressure, pressure. People were living super ungodly lives. Dope and alcohol were running rampant. Uh, there was a time that they would bring us back every, I think it was six weeks or maybe it was two months, I forgot exactly, but we had what we call stand down. And they would bring you out of the field and bring you back to a rear area. And they would bring in these Filipino showgirls and they would sing and dance and do all this. But the truth is they were all prostitutes. And so the government would, for three days, would give you all of the booze that you could drink, free booze, and all, you had all this free sex, and basically this is what guys did. And I mean, they came back. And out of my company of 200 people, I am the only person that did not participate in that. And one of the guys that was in my company is a guy that I grew up with. We went to church together. We'd known each other since we were little kids. And this guy back in the States would have never have done the things that he did in Vietnam. But over there, you know, you're just under this pressure and everybody else is doing I remember standing out on the beach at Chulai, it was where my division headquarters was, and this show was going on and all of the guys were in there screaming and yelling. And, and anyway, I remember it was just like a magnet pulling me towards that thing because I was the only one. 
And there was such a pull. I, I believe it's demonic. And I was out there on the beach resisting with everything I was worth. And I didn't do it. And the reason I didn't do it is because, see, a lot of those guys, this guy that I grew up with, I can tell you what he's thinking because I talked to him. And he says, nobody's going to know. There's no way that his family was ever going to find out about it. He was on the other side of the world. The prostitutes certainly weren't going to tell on him. Plus, you know, you're going to probably get killed in the next day or two. I mean, we were facing death all of the time. And people just rationalized it because, well, who's going to know? Who's ever going to find out about it? But see, with me, it didn't matter if anybody else ever found out about it. I had a relationship with God. I had a personal relationship. God had been good to me. And how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's exactly what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 39 when Potiphar's wife tried to force him to have sex with her. And he said, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, most people would have thought, well, man, my family sold me into slavery. I'm in another country. I'm now a slave. Nobody will ever know about this. There's no way that the master was going to find out about it because it was the master's wife that was enticing Joseph. If she told, it would be her own neck on the line. You know what? Joseph was in a situation he could have got by with it. But Joseph, when he was tempted, said, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know, I went and spoke at a um, Christian school one time. And as I was waiting to get up and speak in front of this 500-member Christian school, they gave me one of their pamphlets, and on the front it said, Positive Peer Pressure. And they went on to explain that, you know, children are really moved by what all of their peers do. And so what they did was have a positive peer pressure, and they used this to make kids live a godly lifestyle. And I understand the point that they're making. It is important who you hang around with and things like this. But I got up and spoke and I said, you know what? You're in positive peer pressure right now, but actually that's the wrong training because you're still training them to respond to peer pressure. It's just positive peer pressure. What would happen if you take those people out of this Christian school and put them over in Vietnam the way I was and I was describing to you? And if I was the only one who was withstanding these temptations. If I had been raised up under just peer pressure, even if it's positive peer pressure, that very training would have made me go with everybody else. But see, I had something much more than just what other people are doing and what do people think about me. It's your personal relationship with God. God's been so good to me. How can I do something that would despise the Lord, that would displease God? You know, I love my mate. And that's a major factor. But even beyond that, I love God more than I love anybody else. And I guarantee you, I'm going to stay faithful because God has been good to me. And this is what the instructions of God are. I see all of these things, see, here with David. And David got the point. The Lord said, How could you do this and despise me? In verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. It actually turned out that his own wives, uh, his son came in and committed adultery with all of his own wives. You reap what you sow. Now we live under a different covenant, praise God. 
And the Lord is not going to judge us the way that He judged David because our judgment has been placed upon Jesus. And so, praise God, the consequences aren't going to be exactly the same for us because we've got a superior covenant and the Lord has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so, praise God for that. I'm still a grace preacher. But you know what? I, this still displeases the Lord when we live the way we do. We may not be punished. We may not be rejected. You aren't going to lose your salvation over stuff. But I tell you what, man, I want to live in a way that will honor and glorify God because I, I read these things and I learn this at David's expense. You know, David was now king. He could do whatever he wanted to. He could take Bathsheba. He could kill her husband. Nobody punished him. No person punished him. He was the top of the food chain. He got by with it. Just because stuff, you, just because you can do it does not mean it's the right thing to do. If you have a personal relationship with God, it ought to be about God. What pleases you? What do you want me to do? There needs to be something bigger in your life than you. There needs to be someone that you love more than you love yourself. And I tell you, because of this, this has really influenced me. This has made a huge difference in my life, and it has dictated my actions. Let me read a little bit to you out of Psalms chapter 51. This is a scripture that David wrote after he had had Nathan come in and expose his sin in these exact passages of scripture that we're reading. If you have a Bible that under the uh, Psalms 51, it'll have a subscript Written there, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is the exact thing that we're reading about. And David here says some things that are really revealing about the way he responded to this. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me... Thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now this is an important statement because if you go on and read over here in Second Samuel chapter 12, you'll find out that, of course, he killed Uriah and he sinned against Uriah. He defiled Bathsheba, and so he sinned against Bathsheba. The child that was born died later on in this same chapter, and Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, got so incensed over this that he was bitter, and he's the one that caused Absalom the son. He counseled him to go in and commit adultery with all of David's wives. David affected a lot of people. And then his son, because of this sexual sin that he had allowed in, his son wound up committing adultery with his sister, Tamar. And because of that, Absalom got so mad at Amnon that he killed Amnon and had to flee. And this is what caused a civil war and tens of thousands of people died. And it's just like dominoes. Boy, you push this one thing over, it's, it's not a matter of you just doing what you want to do. This sets in motion a series of things that affects your children, affects relatives, affects everybody else, affects your testimony, and on and on and on it goes. 
David heard a lot of people, but he got the message that the Lord was saying right here. The Lord didn't talk to him about all of these other consequences. He says, how could you have done this and have despised me? David got that message. And over here, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. That's not to say that David didn't acknowledge the consequences and the other people that had been hurt, but he had turned back to his first love. He had returned back to a person who was a man after God's own heart, and he was acknowledging and saying, God, this is all about me and you. I despised you. And he humbled himself. And I believe that David got back to the place where it was him and God. It was him and the Lord. And because of this, you know what? He was able to recover from this. One of the lessons that you can learn from David's sin with Bathsheba is that this was a terrible thing that he did. It was absolutely wrong. There was no way to whitewash it. You couldn't blame Bathsheba. You couldn't say it was because of anything else. It was David's fault. And yet, because he humbled himself and here accepted responsibility and quit blaming somebody else for what he had done, God restored him. And he finished out his life. He died of natural causes. He died in the will of God. He fulfilled God's purpose. He was still the anointed psalmist of Israel. And here we are talking about David. Thousands of years later, God restored him. And one of the lessons that you can learn from this is that there is forgiveness. But just because there's forgiveness, man, we don't need to go out and do these things that hurt the Lord, number one, plus hurt other people and start all of these negative dominoes effect Man, we need to realize that there are consequences to our actions. And we need to just grow up and start doing the right thing. But these are some of the lessons that I've learned. You know, I've seen David commit adultery. I've seen the punishment and the hurt and the pain that this caused, the death that it caused. And because of that, man, I'd never do it. I don't have to go out and learn everything by hard knocks. I can learn by David's hard knocks. I can learn from these passages of Scripture. And this is one of the things that I pray that you're getting out of this teaching is to learn that, praise God, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. You need to have a relationship with God that you aren't going to do anything. You aren't going to despise Him. You're going to honor Him and live your life to glorify the Lord. If people could bring everything back, if you could just have a relationship with God to where you love Him and you're praising Him and you're thanking Him for all the good things that He's done, that would stop you from going out and living in sin. It would stop you from these major failures like what David had. But the problem is we forget God and we start thinking that, you know, I, I'm a person. I, what about me and what about my desires? And we just start living for ourselves, and that's a recipe for disaster. You're going to make a mess out of your life. And the results of it was that the child that was born to David and Bathsheba died. God smote this child and it died. Now let me just explain again that we live under a new covenant. David was not under that covenant and so there is some differences here. I want to make that clear. I am not saying that God's going to destroy you and God's mad at you. He's placed all of your punishment upon Jesus and praise God for the mercy and the grace that is available to us in the new covenant. But... There are still consequences to our sins. And I guarantee you there's a lot of people that they've misunderstood grace and they think that because God's not going to punish us, God's not going to kill our, our Ishmaels that we have, the things that are outside of God's will, well, then they think it's okay to do it. No, there's still consequences to your sin. 
You know, you could use a million examples of this, but just in the physical realm. You know, God loves you. If you are going to just pig out and be 100, 200 pounds overweight, God loves you. God's not mad at you. You can die and go to heaven, but you'll get there quicker because there are consequences to your sins. And if you, you'll have heart trouble, you have sugar diabetes, you have these kind of things, there are consequences to that. So does God only love skinny people or people that are in shape? Absolutely not. He loves all of us. But just because He loves us and you aren't going to go to hell for being a glutton. Glutton is listed right next to adultery and right next to being a drunkard and all of these kind of things. We need to discipline ourselves. And if you don't, there's consequences. But God loves us. Likewise in the sexual realm, right? Likewise in the physical realm. Did you know that you could go out and steal money and God still loves you, but there's going to be consequences. If you get caught, you could go to jail. There's consequences to all of these things. And there were consequences to David's actions. This child died. And you need to recognize this, that your actions affect other people. This attitude that, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to and who cares? I'm only hurting myself. Boy, how dumb can you get and still breathe? David's actions affected Uriah, affected Bathsheba, affected this child. You know, I'm not going to take time to turn over there, but if you looked in, I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 34. It's listing all of the mighty men of uh, David, and one of them, it says, was Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. Now, you may not connect that, but Eliam was Bathsheba's, father. And so that makes Ahithophel Bathsheba's grandfather. And later on, I'm not going to turn over and read all of these scriptures, but after his sin with Bathsheba, Ahithophel was his counselor. It was David's counselor. And when David's son Absalom rebelled in him and started a civil war, uh, Ahithophel went with Absalom and became his counselor. And so David fled from Jerusalem Absalom and Ahithophel came into Jerusalem and uh, Absalom asked Ahithophel, what do I do to, to you know, cement the people's uh, following of me, to make them committed to me and recognize that there's no chance of reconciliation with my father? And you know what Ahithophel said? He said, put a tent up here on the tallest building in Jerusalem and take all of your father's wife and in, wives and in the sight of all of the people, go in and have sexual relationships with every one of them. And so Absalom did it and he defiled all of his father's wife. You know what? When I've, I've read that for years and years and years and I wondered what in the world would make a person think of something like that. I mean, there's no doubt that once you go into all of your father's wives and have sex with them, it does say that, you know what, there is no chance of reconciliation. <laughs> Amen. There is, this is not going to be settled. You should. Those of you who are committed to me, we're going to have to fight to the death because there's no chance of reconciliation. I can see that logic, but who would have come up with that? You could have done a hundred things, a thousand things that would have done the same thing. Why in the world would you pick that? And then I read in 2 Samuel 23:34, where Ahithophel was the father of Eliam, who was the father of Bathsheba. And all of a sudden I made the connection. And you know what happened? When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, this was Ahithophel's granddaughter. 
And he had been look. He got mad at David for defiling his granddaughter. He had bitterness in his heart, and he had waited for years for an opportunity to get back and hurt David. And when you understand all of that, now you understand why he counseled this because he had uh, Absalom, David's son, go do the same thing to all of David's wives that David had done to Bathsheba. It was revenge. And this was one of the consequences that came out of this sin. Boy, this is a big thing. And I'm telling you, I have learned this at David's expense. I've learned that there are consequences. You may think that you can get by with stuff, but I think it's Numbers 23. I forget the exact verse, but it says, Be sure your sin will find you out. There is no such thing as a secret sin. Anything that's hidden will become out into the uh, light. You know, David, there was no way David knew that the Bible was going to be written and that his sin and everything he did would be written down and for thousands of years it would be rehearsed and that people would still be talking about it 4,000 years later. But that's exactly what's happening. And I am guarantee you it's the same thing with you. Satan will lie to you and tell you, oh, you know, nobody will ever know and all this stuff. I, there are consequences to your sins. You be sure your sin will find you out. And this is one of the lessons that I've learned from David. Here's another lesson that I learned. In, um, right here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David prayed for the child to be saved, but the child wasn't saved. And finally, David just got up and, and shook it off and went on. And it surprised the people around him. They said, you mourned so much while the child was still alive, but now that he's dead, it's like everything's okay. And he says, I, didn't, I knew that this was you know, the judgment that the Lord had pronounced, but God is a merciful God. And so as long as there was life in the child, I thought that maybe God would pardon and that God would allow the child to live. But he says, now that he's dead, he says... I will go to him, but he won't return to me. You know, this is a verse that I've used a number of times. When a child dies, people wonder what happened to this child. Well, that child went to be with the Lord because I can guarantee you David was a man after God's own heart. He did recover after this sin and he went on to be with the Lord and uh, he did not go to hell. And so David said, I am going to go to him, but he won't come back to me. So this shows you that this child, when he died, went to be with the Lord. If a child dies... Uh, as a young child, they go to be with the Lord. And so right after this, uh, it says in verse 24, it says, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan his prophet and called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. The word Jedidiah means beloved of God. And so here is another great lesson. We've been talking about the sin of David and all of the consequences and how it displeased the Lord. But did you know after the death of this child, David went in, had physical sexual relationships with Bathsheba. She conceived and had a son, Solomon, and Solomon became the next king. And, but the Lord sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet and called this child Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. And here's another great lesson. And that is that sometimes you can't unscramble eggs. Once something has happened, 
you know what? You just have to go on and you can't go back. If David would have said, you know, this whole relationship with Bathsheba is just totally wrong. And so therefore he just kicked her out and turned her out on the street. In those days, women couldn't work. They didn't have careers the way that we see. This woman would have been totally destitute and all it would have done is compound the situation. It was a totally adulterous relationship. It was not ordained of God. But after David had repented, and I mean he fully, truly repented, well then he went in and the relationship that had been an adulterous relationship was now blessed and sanctioned of God and the child born there was called Jedediah, beloved of God. God loved this child. Boy, that's a great truth. You know, we had a couple here in the Colorado Springs area that I went to church with. And anyway, it's a long story. I won't go into it. But they had both been married before and they got together in a totally adulterous situation and this couple had married, and uh, then they got born again, and they were in church. And the woman was always feeling like this relationship is totally adulterous. And it started out that way. It was adulterous, but what she wanted to do was to divorce the present husband that she had after she got born again, and she wanted to go back and somehow or another try and get back with her first husband after he had already divorced her and was remarried with somebody else, and he wanted to break up that home and get back together. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says that if you divorce and go and remarry and then divorce from the second marriage, under no circumstances do you ever go back to the first. And anyway, there's people that say, well, under the New Testament you can do that. But anyway, again, I'm just saying that that was the Old Testament standard. You certainly aren't supposed to do that. And I told this woman, I said, there's no way you can somehow or another go back to your first marriage and just divorce this one. And I used David as an example. I said, I don't doubt that what you did was adultery, but it was before you got born again. Now you're born again. God has forgiven you of this and you cannot undo what you've done. And all you're going to do is destroy this marriage. And she says, but it's not blessed of God. And I said, well, it wasn't blessed of God any more than David and Bathsheba's union was blessed of God. But now that it's happened, if you have repented and if you are loving God, God can take this situation that started out totally wrong and He can bless it so much so that I guarantee you it'll be so wonderful that you wonder how it could have been any better if you would have followed God's will perfectly. So this is one of the lessons that you learn from David right here, and that is that after he had already made a mess of this whole situation, now that he couldn't make it right by kicking Bathsheba out, he took her as his wife. He was responsible for her. He honored her. He had relationship with her. And the child that was born was called Jedediah, beloved of God. And Solomon went on to be the next king. Well, there's just a lot of lessons to learn right here. But when David gave place to this sexual sin, it released a, I believe, demonic sexual attitude into his family. And you will find out that Amnon, one of his children, got to lusting after his sister Tamar. And he went in and had sexual relationships with her. That's in uh, the 13th chapter of Second Samuel. And I believe that this inroad of this sexual lust came through the father and it was passed on to the kids. 
I'm telling you guys, some of you think, you know, you could watch pornography, you can watch X-rated stuff, and it's all in secret and nobody knows. But there is a spiritual dynamic that's going on. It's not just physical. Pornography, lust, and all of this kind of stuff is demonic. And you give yourself over to it and you think, well, I'm never going to act it out. doesn't matter if you act it out or not. You have allowed this demonic spirit to function through you. Probably you are going to act it out, but even if you don't, it'll pass on to your kids. It will affect other people. Some people think, well, I never thought of that. Well, you ought to read the Bible. This is the reason that I'm teaching on these things. I'm telling you, there are consequences to your actions. We are in a spiritual warfare. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. There is demonic activity going on. And I know that our day and age, they say all that is crazy. There is nothing to all of that stuff. People go out and they have one night stands. They shack up with people and don't ever get married and don't do it God's way. And they say it doesn't matter. Those are old standards. And you know what? You can say what you want to, but look at the results. Look at the people's lives. Look at people that are committing suicide, people that are so miserable. They're having to do dope. They're having to do things to cope. And a lot of it is because they may sit there and say there's nothing to it. It's just a one-night stand. But the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, he that is, or excuse me, verse 16, he that is joined unto a harlot is one flesh. Even if it's only a one-night stand, there is a union that takes place. And what's in that person gets in you. And it does affect you. David and his sin passed right on down to his kids. And all of a sudden, you started seeing all of this ungodliness. And because Amnon raped Tamar, his daughter, I mean his sister, David's daughter, then Absalom, Amnon's brother, got mad at him and plotted against him and two years later killed him. I mean, just murdered him in cold blood. And then he was afraid that David was going to retaliate and so Absalom went and for either two or three years had to live in a foreign country. Finally, he came back and David allowed him to come back into the nation of Israel, but there still was an estrangement between David and Absalom and he wouldn't even see Absalom. For two years, Absalom lived back in the nation of Israel and there was no relationship. David wouldn't even allow Absalom to come into his presence. And because of that, you know what? I'm not sure. I don't know that David did the right thing. I don't know. The scripture doesn't comment on this, but the results of David not allowing Absalom to come back around. Absalom took offense. He became bitter at David. Here's another lesson that you can learn, that Absalom was bitter at David. And let's just suppose that David was 100% wrong in treating Absalom the way he did. Does that justify what Absalom did? No. And see, this is a problem that people have today. They think because this person has done that, then that justifies me doing these things. No, Absalom should have looked at it this way, that if David was upset, if David was unforgiving, and whatever David's problem was, Absalom's the one that caused it. Absalom's the one that killed his brother. He started this whole thing. And you can't just sit there and kill somebody and then think, well, you ought to get over it. And well, that was years ago. Now let's forget it. You know, if people take offense, if people get bitter at you, you cause this whole thing. You can learn this by looking at Absalom, that some people would say, well, David didn't treat Absalom right. Well, Absalom's the one that started this whole thing and caused David to respond the way he did. 
I'm not saying that David did things right. I'm not saying that Absalom was 100% responsible. But Absalom, you don't need to blame other people for the way they respond to your sins. And I tell you, this is one thing that really provokes me about Christians. They'll sit there and say, well, you should forgive me and stuff. Well, I should. And I am going to forgive you because it hurts me. I've heard people say that, Having unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking that's going to hurt the other person. I'll forgive you and I'll deal with you in love because I'm not going to get bitter. But if a person doesn't forgive you, you need to recognize you're the one that caused this whole situation. It's your fault. You don't have any right to go and say, well, you should be forgiving me. You're the one that caused it. And you have to humble yourself. And one thing you can see about David throughout the rest of his life, that David took a lot of blows Absalom caused a civil war against him, raped all of his wives, caused tens of thousands of people to die. And yet David mourned for Absalom. He loved Absalom. He recognized that he was the one that allowed all of this stuff to come in. And David humbled himself. And um, anyway, he recovered and died at an old age and in love with God. And God blessed him. And I tell you, there's good things that we can learn and bad things that we can learn through the life of David. And it is much better to learn it at his expense than you having to learn all of these things through your own hard knocks.